Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Hello, hello. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. I, of course, am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny Profita. And it is Saturday afternoon. I am a day late again with the episode. Friday was kind of a weird day for me. My schedule got a little mixed up. I had um, some plans that, that kind of fell through or they got pushed back and it just really messed up my entire day. So I did plan on recording yesterday afternoon before the happy hour, and then I changed my plans based on something that I thought was going to happen, which ended up falling through. So I, w- I kind of wasted yesterday afternoon. I mean, I didn't waste it. I wasn't just like sitting around, but I I could have, had I had known those plans were going to fall through, I could have recorded then. And it just, I don't know, kind of frustrating and it, it threw off my whole day. But anyway, better late than never, I suppose. And thank you for everybody that attended the happy hour last night. I do apologize. I only had about an hour to actually happy hour with you guys. We, we normally go longer than that. And because uh, my, my plans got all screwed up, I only had about an hour to, to hang with you guys. So I, I feel bad about that. I wish I could have stayed longer. You know, I left the room open for, for people to um, chit-chat while I was gone. And hopefully they, they still had fun without me. I will make up for it in the in the next one. I will go until until you guys lose interest. I guess we'll we'll put it that way. I I will stay on as long as you guys want to stay on to make up for that because I feel bad and I know I missed an episode last week, so maybe I'm on thin ice with you guys. But um, doing doing the best I can over here. I it was a very frustrating week for me too. I found out. Uh, this was a couple days ago that I guess, and maybe some of you guys have been experiencing this because I only found out from a couple listeners that reached out to me telling me that the podcast wasn't available on Apple Podcasts anymore, which according to the analytics I have, about half the listeners listen on Apple Podcasts. So the first time somebody brought that to my attention, I was like, ah, I don't know, man, I think maybe it's like a glitch on your end. Because I would have seen like a huge dip in the numbers if all of a sudden half my listeners couldn't get the podcast. And apparently this has been going on since the the beginning of May. I think May 1st was what one listener told me was the last episode that they could get. And so I I was trying to figure out what was going on when another person brought it up to me the other day said, hey, it's not on there. It's not even coming up in searches. So if you would search for the podcast on Apple, it wouldn't come up. Man, I I tried to figure out what's going on. I thought maybe they removed the show. Um, I I don't know why, but, you know, maybe it was my content or 
Uh, one, one thing I was reading was if you have episodes that are explicit, that you don't mark as explicit, they could pull it for that. But it would have been kind of weird if they pulled it for no reason. And and that's what I was thinking. Like they or not no reason, but without any warning or anything like that. So I was initially just like super fucking upset with Apple because I thought they just pulled the show. They didn't give me a warning. They didn't tell me that they did it. They just got rid of it. And the other really frustrating part about this is I, I'm running ad campaigns right now that not very cheap ad campaigns either. And uh, I have no idea if those ad campaigns worked, if they reached any listeners, because I'm guessing if everybody, you know, if half my listeners are listening on Apple Podcasts, then other shows probably have similar numbers to that. Maybe even more than half of their listeners are on Apple. And if you, you know, you hear an ad for a podcast and you, you go to Apple to search for it, it doesn't come up. It's like, all right, well, fuck it. I mean, how much more effort is, is somebody going to put into to finding a new show if it doesn't show up right away? You know, they're not going to go to some alternative platform. So the, the timing of this was just awful. It was very frustrating because I never really got uh, straight answers as to what was going on. I, I talked to the anchor who is sponsoring this episode and hosts my my content and they're the ones that distribute it to all the platforms and they basically just said that the problem was on apple's end they didn't actually pull the show they're just experiencing it like glitches and issues and it wasn't everybody some listeners i know still got the the podcast but others couldn't get it at all and it, it cut out for them at different times but anyway, um, apparently it's been rectified. The problem has been fixed. I've heard from a, a number of different uh, listeners that it is back up on Apple. They've updated it with all the new episodes, and it appears in the searches. So I guess that's good, but the, the damage has already been done. We had we did lose uh, a, a good amount of, of listeners, I think, because of that. And then the, I have a just like failed ad campaigns now that you know you can never really get those back either, but... It is what it is, I suppose, and we'll just keep plugging along here, taking care of business. There's been there's a couple of interesting articles that I was reading yesterday and this morning. Really, sort of scary stuff coming coming down the the, the pike here. I don't know exactly how to address this this main one, this main article that I want to talk about, which involves basically entire neighborhoods being bought up by huge corporations, these, these huge companies, like BlackRock is the biggest one. And they're, they're basically buying up entire neighborhoods of single-family homes. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal talking about this, but as, as you guys have probably heard, and I think I've talked about it before on the show is that real estate prices for single family homes it and neighborhoods in the suburbs outside of the cities has been skyrocketing like we're almost back at the pre housing bubble like pre 2008 home price year over year growth we're ba we're almost at the levels that we were at before the largest housing bubble in the history of the world collapsed and a lot of that was was driven by the the covid lockdowns and the government's reaction to covid making everybody stay at home everybody was working from home and the the cities were you know fraught with riots and and violence and everything like that because of the whole George Floyd thing but 
basically, you know, cities like New York and Chicago where, where people were living in, in these like crammed apartments and having to be home all day with the kids and in a small space, drove a lot of people into the suburbs. That put an upward, you know, upward pressure on housing prices, of course, because, you, you know, you have more demand for a, a bigger house outside the city. All of a sudden, you know, you're not interested in commuting to work. You don't care how long that that drive is or you don't care about being close to the office because everybody's working from home and what's more important now is to you know get out of these dangerous neighborhoods where where people are rioting and where the taxes are super high and get yourself some more space to you know give the kids some some room to run around give you some office space and things like that and the other thing that's been happening in especially in the the markets is that all of these companies these big, huge companies like BlackRock, they have a ton of cash on hand. Like they have, um, you know, Apple and, and these companies have more cash uh, on hand than the federal government does at any given time. And the with what's going on with the inflation um, and the inflation that we're seeing already and the inflation that now everybody is expecting, like there, I'm seeing article after article about um, just people's inflation expectations going up, their fears of runaway inflation and things like that, and they're actually starting to talk about it in the the mainstream. Like the corporate press is finally addressing these CPI numbers that we're seeing coming out, and the prices of everything going up. So the the one of the most dangerous places I think you could be right now from an, a financial investment standpoint is sitting in cash like the the federal reserve their stated goal is to destroy two percent of your cash uh, your cash's purchasing power every year and i think we all know that we're way above that what a lot of these companies are doing is they're they're trying to find a good yield like you're not getting it by buying treasuries from the you know from the the government which is typically what a lot of these companies would they'd park their money in in bonds right treasury bonds treasury bills and that you get you know a few percentage points a year but not you know what's the yield on the hang on let's see where the 10 years at yeah the 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 yield on the u.s 10 year is 1.63 percent right now okay um that's ridiculous. That is, that is not keeping up with inflation. You are losing money um, by buying, uh, by loaning it to the federal government, by buying these treasuries, right? And so, since they can't get um, yields from bonds, they they do have money in the stock market. But maybe they're thinking that the the stock market is overdue for a correction. As we are, you know. At basically at all-time highs, and we've talked about that before, but the stock market seems to be sort of stalling out right about where it is. It's been, if you, you, know, if you pull up a chart of the, uh, of the, say, the Dow Jones, we can't seem to get above 34,000, 34,731. We just keep bumping our head up against it. Now, that is a ridiculously high price. It's the highest the, the market's ever been. But if you if you look at a weekly chart, we just we've put in basically a double top right there, which is not a very good sign. It's a bearish indicator sometimes. Now we haven't broken below that structural support there um, at about you know thirty four thousand something like that, thirty four thousand and change. But we're headed lower, and 
I think maybe a lot of these companies are they're probably over invested in the stock market and they still have a ton of cash on hand and so they're they're looking for places to get a yield to get a return on their investment and to protect themselves from all this inflation and so they're buying up real estate they're buying up these these houses and they have so much cash on hand that they're paying 20 to 50% over the listing price for these houses and they're they're basically pricing every other would be home buyer way out of the market. I mean, who can afford to pay twenty percent over a list, right? Like the average couple can't can't afford to do that. So these guys are buying up all of these houses left and right, and they're paying way 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 more than what anybody else can afford. So we're seeing this weird. Um, this weird shift in, in what's happening with the, the real estate market. So as, and this is from the article here, as the real estate market continues to break records, a cabal of institutional investors has been tossing gasoline on the fire, buying up properties hand over fist as middle American renters watch their dreams of home ownership fade at the hands of pension funds and other financial behemoths. You now have permanent capital competing with a young couple trying to buy a house, according to real estate consultant John Burns, whose firm estimates that in many of the country's hottest markets, roughly 20% of homes sold are bought by someone who never moves in. That's going to make U.S. housing permanently more expensive, said Burns, who thinks home prices will climb as much as 12% this year on top of last year's 11% rise. Limited housing supply, low rates, a global reach for yield, which is what I was just kind of talking about, and what we're calling the institutionalized, uh, institutionalization of real estate investors has set the stage for another speculative investor-driven home price bubble. His firm concluded finding Houston to be the favorite location for investors who have accounted for 24% of home home purchases in the area. The coronavirus pandemic sparked a race for home office space and yards. Occupancy rates reached records and rents are rising with home prices. Burns counted more than 200 companies and investment firms in the house hunt. Uh, ma major money managers including JP Morgan Asset Management and BlackRock Inc. Platforms such as Fundrise and Roofstock that buy and arrange for management of rentals on behalf of individuals and builder LGI Homes, Inc., which now reports wholesale home sales to bulk buyers in its quarterly results, according to the Wall Street Journal. In one example, a bidding war broke out over a DR Horton complex in Conroe, Texas. After the home builder put the entire subdivision up for sale, a who's who's of investors and rental home firms flocked to the December sale, the winning bid of $32 million came from an online property investment company, Fundraise LLC, which manages over a billion dollars for about 150,000 individuals. DR Horton ended up booking roughly twice what it typically makes selling houses to middle-class homebuyers. So you can kind of see what what's going on here, and the trend is looking pretty bleak for people that want to buy a house. I mean, if these companies are just going to go around and, you know, if they're the, the size of, of BlackRock, like this, um, there's a Twitter thread here. They, they start talking about the implications of this when it comes to the Great Reset, which is, if I understand what they're talking about correctly, this idea that nobody's going to own 
anything anymore. Like they're everything's going to be owned by by companies and governments, and you're just going to rent everything. Um, this is one aspect of the Great Reset, apparently. And if these companies can just keep buying up all the supply, like BlackRock has... So between BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street, they control $20 trillion worth of assets. BlackRock alone has $10 billion a year in surplus. So they, they did some rough math here, and they're saying that you know if they put between 5 and 20% down, they can get mortgages on up to 170,000 homes a year, or they could buy 30,000 homes outright. Now, my guess is they're not going to buy them outright because the mortgage rates are so low. You're, you're basically getting free money if you take out a mortgage right now. I mean, they're, the mortgage rates are like around 3%. I've seen some under 3% and I've seen some almost at, at like 4 but I mean that's pretty soon that's going to be way way under the inflation rate and you're going to be getting free money to to basically go uh, buy up uh, real estate with it. So I don't know why they would put so much down if they can just borrow the money and and you know pay it back over time with dollars that are worth a lot less. Um, but if they can just keep buying up all this supply and then you on top of that, you have all of these you know, building restrictions and uh, zoning codes that you have to follow that that restricts a lot of the uh, new home construction. Also, the the um, inflation causing the, the price of lumber and things like that, building materials going way up. It's getting a lot more expensive to build new homes. So there's going to be a really uh, strained supply of single-family houses, and these guys are going to keep buying this this real estate up. And, and I mean, if they're going to pay twenty percent over list, I mean they're gonna they're gonna be able to buy that all day long, and then they'll they'll rent it out to you. You'll you'll be um, a, a permanent renter since nobody can afford to buy any of these houses, and it's kind of a disturbing trend when you when you really think about it and and the implications of it. Now, I I, I do think there will be a great reset, in the sense that these housing prices are going to reset eventually as well. Like I I don't think they're going to stay this high and keep uh, increasing by twelve percent a year. Like, you know, leading up to 2007, everybody was saying, oh, you know, housing prices never go down. We, we saw how that worked out. So, the, you know, these these uh, housing prices being this high, I do think they will come down. But these guys can afford to take that hit. And if they can, you know, c- kind of corner this market, buy up, buy up everything, that, that's going to really put a lot of pressure, upward pressure on rent- rental prices. You know, I'm not exactly sure how to address that except for the fact that this is i mean this is the direct result of market manipulation i mean this is you get this kind of behavior when you distort markets through artificially suppressing interest rates by the federal reserve through government policies that's creating all this inflation that it's creating an environment where people can't get a return on their investment. Like nobody saves anymore because you don't make any money on your savings because the interest rates are so low. And, you know, when you have these big firms, they, they have to get some sort of return on, on this money. They have to park it somewhere. They can't just sit in cash. And they're, they're, my guess is they're already fucking heavily invested in the stock market. 
and and so now they're they're just buying up real estate left and right and this is not um you know this is not a free market phenomenon in my opinion this is this is what you get when you have a, a central authority basically pulling the strings trying to you know they they talk about building an economy well th- this is the result of them trying to build an economy that works for everybody right they they do all these things they they manipulate the markets they manipulate uh, the price of money interest rates which and anything that is based off of borrowing like houses and and things like that real estate everything's affected by that and then you're going to have all these politicians come out and they're going to be wringing their hands. Oh, like these rents, these rents are too damn high and we need more home ownership. It's the ticket to, um, you know, the the American dream and your, your um, ticket out of poverty, your way into the upper middle class or whatever. You know, everybody should be able to afford a home. And then they're going to come out with more policies, uh, housing initiatives and things like that that's just going to screw things up even more. And listen, you know, this this Twitter thread here has some makes some interesting points, but the one thing that I don't necessarily agree with, the this idea that home ownership is the be all end all. Like it's automatically the right thing for you to do. You should be you know, you should be owning, not renting, because if you're renting, you're just throwing money down the toilet. You're missing out on a lifetime worth of equity. And this is, you know, this is your ticket out of out of poverty into the middle class, into the upper class. You know, you get to borrow against your house and then you can sell it. You know, once home prices go up, you can sell it for and take that money. And listen, there are certain situations where home ownership is appropriate. I don't like this idea of, you know, you buy a house, it goes up in value, and then, you know, you can borrow against it, you'll, it'll automatically go up, it, you'll get equity, and, you know, you'll build credit, and you'll make all this money when you sell it. That's not always the case, okay? And in the meantime, while you're waiting for those prices to go up, there's a tremendous amount of costs associated with owning a house. I mean, if you run the if you do the math on it, it's it's very unlikely that you're going to make money over time just by buying a house and staying in it. I mean, this idea that like just because time passes, the house gets more valuable is is a fallacy. I mean, if any like the older something gets, the the more things break down and the more maintenance you're going to have to do to, to keep it up to par. I mean, if you want to take take my um, condo situation in Chicago, for, for instance, I mean, I would be lucky to, to sell it right now and, and make just about anything. Um, at, when you factor in all of the things that have gone wrong over the years and some special assessments I've been hit with, you know, I'm probably going to get out of it exactly what I put into it six or seven years later. So, and, and, that, and that's just talking about, you know, replacing the water heater and the furnace and the AC and, and things like that, that, that go belly up. Um, when you, when you factor in all the property taxes that you're paying, I mean, yeah, sure. You get to write off some of this, this interest uh, on your taxes that you're paying uh, the mortgage interest, you get that as a deduction. You get to write out your property taxes against your taxable income as well. But 
it's still, I mean, you're, you're paying a ton of money out of pocket to own property. And it's not a guarantee that when it comes time to sell, prices are going to be higher. That's just not necessarily how things are, are going to happen. And so, and then the other thing you have to think about is, okay, so you let's say uh, prices did go up and you sold. How does that help you now? If you sold your house, you got to go live somewhere, right? So if you're going to buy another house, well, you just have to, all that money you just made goes toward overpaying for the next house unless you downsize into a smaller place. So I guess it benefits people, you know, older people, senior citizens, people that are empty nesters now, you know, that that saw their home value increase over time and they get to sell it for, you know, 20% more than they paid for it and then they get to buy a cheaper place and have some money left over because they're going from like a four bedroom to a two bedroom or something like that. But if you're just trying to buy a, a new place, well, it's going to cost like a, the same type of place, or you're trying to upgrade to a bigger place. It th- those prices are exponentially higher than they than the one that that you just sold, right? Like a ten percent increase on a two hundred thousand dollar house versus a ten percent increase on a eight hundred thousand dollar house. Well, that that's a big chunk of change right there, right? So you're not coming out ahead. And, you know, this idea that this perverted idea that the government has that we always want housing prices to be high and to go up. Why? Why do they want that? I mean, they they talk out of both sides of their mouth. They want housing prices to stay high so that everybody feels wealthy. Right. And they can borrow against it and spend, spend, spend. But they also want to make housing more affordable for younger people. Well, which is it? Do you want it to be affordable? You want the price to always be really high. I mean, those two things don't go together. So what they really mean when they say affordable is they want to make it affordable for you to go into debt to overpay for it, just like how they're making college more affordable. So this is just a a retarded idea that we should always have really high housing prices. I mean, why would we want the price to always go up unless we're going to build this phony economy over, you know, around buying and selling houses? which is kind of what got us into a lot of trouble in 2008. So uh, this idea that, you know, you should buy a a house and live in it as and consider that an investment, I think is very, very misguided. Um, Now that you could buy property and as an investment property and rent it out and you can make as long as you're getting a positive cash flow there, then it's um, then that would be an investment. And if the if the property goes up in value, you can sell it, okay. But in the meantime, you're still getting rental income that's covering your monthly nut uh, to own the property. Um, at least in theory, that would be the idea, right? So that that sort of property ownership, I understand. But just this idea of you know you can't um, you can't become wealthy or live the American dream without owning a house. I mean. I think the the trend is, um, or at least should be, to not necessarily want to be tied down to one area. I mean, look what happened over the last year with people being tied down to one area. I mean, you never know how bad things are going to get, how quickly you're going to want to uh, pick up and leave. The, uh, the idea of being tied down to one geographical location, I think, is antiquated. And we don't, you know, we don't have to live in the same, you know, place for 30 years anymore and, and work at the same company for 30 years and then retire. 
um, and then move down to Florida or whatever. You you can be mobile now and, and still, you know, make a good income and, and just rent everywhere. I mean, there's nothing wrong with renting. The idea that you're throwing money down the toilet, I, I think is, is just wrong. I mean, it's nice not to have to deal with anything. It's nice to, you know, when the furnace breaks, you just call the landlord and he's got to deal with it because you paid your rent. I mean, that's that's a luxury. I mean, that's people take that for granted, I think, uh, while they're renting. And then once you become a homeowner, you are the landlord and that all falls on you. Now, don't get me wrong. Owning property, owning land can be a good investment and certainly a, a hedge against inflation. And, you know, that that old saying, you know, buy land because God ain't making any more of it. It certainly holds true, which is why I think it's a little disturbing that all of these huge multinational corporations can um, just use all this cheap money they're basically getting from the Federal Reserve to buy it all up. And then there's nothing for us peasants to do. That 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 does scare me. This idea that there's this um, organized movement to basically change the way people live like fund a fundamental reorganization of society where nobody actually owns anything that is very very creepy and this i mean this does raise some eyebrows when you think it, it, this is maybe how one way that they're going to implement that it's certainly something to think about and something that we as libertarians as free market advocates have to have to grapple with i think but i don't see this in a vacuum as like some some big market failure or something like that i i look at this as the direct result of what happens when markets are manipulated and these are people reacting to the the conditions that a centralized government uh, a central bank market manipulators are putting on the economy i mean th- these are this is a situation people are being put into and they're reacting to it Th- this is not um i i don't think in in a truly free market that blackrock would be interested and buying up every single family home in the United States of America i just don't think that you know these pension funds want to be um you know landlords for half the country that just that just doesn't seem right to me but it's where we find ourselves and it's it's going to be very interesting to see what happens over the next uh i don't know five to ten years maybe something like that in terms of of this real estate thing and and with the inflation that looks like it's out of the bag and we're, we're seeing higher prices with everything i have i have some other articles here that that we can go into it looks like there's there's a lot of talk now about this drought that's been going on for the last couple of years and it's really looking like it's picking up steam right now especially on the west coast so we'll i guess we can trans uh transition over to that But first, let's take a quick second and thank our sponsor for today's show, and that is Zipix Toothpicks. If you've listened to the show for any amount of time, you you should be familiar with them by now. But if not, if you're one of the new listeners, these are nicotine-infused flavored toothpicks to help you curb those nicotine cravings that you get from time to time. It is a nice smokeless alternative to cigarettes and um, you know vaping and things like that these 
since they are toothpicks and you, you're putting them in your mouth and you're taking them out of your mouth, you're still getting that sort of oral fixation thing taken care of. But the beauty of it is there, there's no smoke, there's no bad smell, there's no bad taste. It doesn't turn your teeth yellow or anything like that. It's just, and you can do it anywhere, you know. It's just a toothpick. Nobody even knows that you're actually sucking some nicotine out of that. It just looks like you're uh, popping in a toothpick after a meal or something at a restaurant. And you, you can do it in the car. You're not going to bother anybody. It, it's a really cool idea. And so what you want to do if you want to get some of these is go to ZipixToothpicks.com. That's Z as in zebra, I-P-P-I-X.com. Use promo code FICTION so they know I sent you. You'll get 10% off your order. I believe they have six different flavors of, of nicotine-infused toothpicks. And then if you're even if you're not into the whole nicotine thing, maybe you're into the caffeine thing, they have a B12 and caffeine-infused toothpick as well. So that's like giving you some vitamins and a little energy boost in the morning or in the afternoon. Whenever you're feeling a little down, you can pop one of these toothpicks in your mouth and get your um, caffeine fixed that way. These are just a great little alternative to all, all of those, you know, smokeless, alt- uh, over-the-counter smokeless alternatives, the gum, the patch, all that stuff. This, these are going to be cheaper than all of those things. And um, some might say more convenient. So go on over to ZipixToothpicks.com, check them out, use promo code fiction you'll get 10% off your order and you can start curbing those nicotine cravings immediately all right so if I haven't sufficiently freaked you out that you'll never be able to buy a house in America ever again let's let's move on into another looming disaster which is these increased prices that we're all seeing at the grocery store and, and shortages of items that I think is going to become a real concern in the near future. You know, the housing thing, that that, that problem might be a, a, a few years from completely, uh, completely developing or whatever, but, I mean, every day you got to eat, right? We're, we're seeing a lot of prices for things just skyrocket at the grocery store, and then we're seeing that there's a lot of shortages for, for things, like which puts further, you know, pressure, upward pressure on prices, Right now, apparently, and this is from, so this is from the Economic Collapse blog, so you might want to, you know, take that with a grain of salt, because this guy does like to, you know, sort of by definition, paint a very doomsday scenario. But that doesn't mean, especially that these, you know, these numbers that he's throwing at you are wrong or anything like that. So this stuff is actually happening. And what's going on right now is there's a huge drought in America and even in South America. So um, ranchers are selling off cattle and farmers are idling hundreds of thousands of acres as um, America's drought emergency escalates. This is from the article. In my entire lifetime, this is the worst that drought conditions have ever been in the western half of the country. During the past 20 years, the amount of territory in the west considered to be suffering from exceptional drought has never gone higher than 11% until now. Today, that number is sitting at 27%. The term mega drought is being thrown around these days to describe what's happening, but this just isn't a drought. This is a true national emergency, and it's really starting to affect our food supply. Just look at what's happening up in North Dakota. The vast majority of the state is either in the worst level of drought or the second worst level of drought, and ranchers are auctioning off their cattle by the thousands. 
Normally this time of year, we're probably looking at 400 to 600 head. And a lot of times that would be every other week, said a uh, former auctioneer, Ron Torgerson. Torgerson? I don't know. Um, God, I hate last names. <laughs> On Sunday and Monday, more than 4,200 head of cattle were sold at rugby, livestock, and auction. Needless to say, ranchers in North Dakota don't want to get rid of their cattle, but the drought has pushed prices for hay and corn so high that many of them simply have no choice. One of those that has already been forced to sell a large number of cattle is rancher David Bull. As the drought continues, the price of hay and corn has gone way up. It's more expensive for ranchers to try and supplement feed than it is to sell the cattle. Bull has already sold 200 of his head in the last month. Everybody is in the same situation. They're going to have to sell probably 25 to 50% of them because there's nowhere to go with them. We just got no food to feed them, Bull said. As cattle herds shrink all over the western half of the country, this is going to push beef prices significantly higher than they are right now. And in many areas, they're already at ridiculous levels. Meanwhile, the drought continues to push the water level in Lake Mead into a danger zone. According to CBS News, Lake Mead will soon hit the lowest level ever recorded. For more than eight decades, the iconic Hoover Dam has relied on water from Nevada's Lake Mead to cover it up its backside. But now at age 85, it finds itself uncomfortably exposed. Much of the water the dam is, is supposed to be holding back is gone. This is like a different world, said Pat Mulroy, the former head of the Southern Nevada Water Authority. She told CBS News senior national and environmental correspondent Ben Tracy that Lake Mead, the, national, the nation's largest reservoir, is on track to soon hit its lowest level ever recorded. Since the year 2000, the water in Lake Mead has declined by a whopping 30 feet, and it's currently just at 37% of its capacity. The dam's hydropower output has already been reduced by about 25%, and once that water level gets low enough, it will stop producing electricity completely. In addition, many farmers that rely on water from Lake Mead are facing a very uncertain future at this point. For the first time ever, the federal government is expected to declare a water shortage on the, Col on the lower Colorado River later this summer. That will force automatic cuts to the water supply for Nevada and Arizona starting in 2022. Homeowners have higher priority and, at first, won't feel the pain as badly as the farmers. Dan Thielander is a second-generation family farmer in Arizona's Penal County. The water to grow his corn and alfalfa fields comes from Lake Mead. If we don't have irrigation water, we can't farm, he said. <laughs> Makes sense. So next year, we're going to get about 25% less water, which means we're going to have to fallow or not plant 25% of our land. Unless something changes, Thielander and other farmers in the region could potentially have all water cut off in 2023. Of course, there are far farmers, uh, many farmers in California that have already been informed that they will not be getting any water allocated to them at all in 2021. It's being projected that farmers in the state will not grow anything on 500,000 acres of land this year. And that is really bad news because California grows more than a third of our vegetables and two-thirds of our fruits and nuts. Along with wildfire risks, shortage of uh, short water supply is putting immense pressure on the state's agricultural industry. Already farmers are culling crops 
in fallowing fields in anticipation of water shortages. Apparently, South America is also experiencing a historic drought. Brazil is uh, is experiencing the worst drought in nearly a century, and scientists are not anticipating that will end anytime soon. Look, I don't know. Obviously, I, I can't predict the weather or anything like that, and I'm sure there'll be calls to blame this on global warming or climate. Oh, they'll just say climate change, right? But, I mean, droughts are going to happen, right? This is going to happen from time to time. There are cycles like this. But we're going to be we're, – we're in such a weakened financial position right now because of what they've done to the economy and, and all of this inflation that they've created that this is like throwing gasoline on an already burning fire, right? We, we've already seen prices for, for food and things like that go way, way, way up. And then if you're going to add in a drought, a, a, like a really bad drought season – that's just going to further exacerbate all this. And what worries me is is not necessarily the, the fact that prices for, for these things is going to go up. But, I mean, it does have a rippling effect, right? A lot of people forget that, you know, you have to feed these animals, uh, you know, corn and, and, and hay and stuff like that. So you can see the, the rippling effects through the supply chain when you get disruptions in it. And so... What what really concerns me here is what's going to be the reaction to this, right? Obviously, as the prices get higher and higher and people get angrier and angrier, there's going to be a desire to blame somebody, right? Blame something. And the politicians are going to, you know, they're going to put it on climate change and then come up with all these climate change initiatives that are going to cost us a bloody fortune that aren't going to solve the problem. Like, there's just no goddamn way that they could fix the climate. They can't fix anything. And there's nothing more, nothing more complex and intricate than climate. I mean, who knows what what everything you do, like what effect everything you do has on the climate. They don't know a goddamn thing. They can make all sorts of crazy assumptions, absolutely, but you never know what one little thing could do, what what sort of effect that could have on the climate and the environment and all in and, and just wildlife and things like that. So um, the idea that government can solve this by putting down some words on paper and some more regulations and some more, you know, bureaucracies and agencies and committees is absolutely ridiculous. But what they're going to come up with is equally as terrifying to me as just the, the price of food going way, way up in the near future. I mean, there are ways that you can... You can prepare for that. You can mitigate that. Obviously, we can change our eating habits, and that may have to happen. Or you could start stocking up on things right now before things get really bad. I mean, go get yourself a freezer if you're really concerned about uh, beef prices. Oh, shit, I have some pork in the fridge. I just... <laughs> I just remembered I better do something with that pretty soon. But go buy yourself a freezer and and stock up on buy some meat in bulk and freeze it. It'll be good for at least like 6 months. So that you can do stuff like that to help weather these storms. But if the government comes in with a policy and who knows like if if prices get too high, they might, you know, especially with the the Biden administration there, they might go back to these uh, price controls. They might say you can't charge more than X number of dollars for corn or for wheat or for beef or anything like that. And that's just going to further exacerbate the, the, the problem. That's like um, 
if we're throwing gasoline on a fire, now we're throwing like rocket fuel on the fire or whatever to, to make it burn even worse. But it, it's certainly not unprecedented. It's something they've done in the past to try to combat these things. And the, you know, the, the mainstream narrative goes that, you know, these things are what helped get us out of the Great Depression. And, you know, when we had the Great Depression, there was a, a big drought, too, I believe. So, you know, these these droughts are always going to come and go. But the being on very unsound economic footing makes it much harder to weather these storms. And on top of that, you know, they mentioned the wildfire uh, season is coming up. And I, I'm sure the fact that this is a, a you know, this, this has been a, a bad drought is going to make the fires that much worse, that much more damage will be done, um, that much more, you know, um, resources allocated to fighting those fires and putting those out and everything like that. It's going to be a rocky couple of years, I think, for, for the U.S. and maybe the world in general. It, it does not look good when you're looking out over the horizon here as, as to what is coming uh, up ahead. You know, you have um, power companies in California saying there'll, there'll be more blackouts because of the um, rise in, in fires and everything like that. Look, I mean, for all of the, the money that California collects in taxes and has collected in taxes over the years, the, the idea that they are still unprepared for these fires is absolutely ridiculous. Like, there's no excuse for it. There, there's no excuse for uh, the fact that they don't allow for controlled burning, that they don't clear a lot of this debris from these federal, uh, federally controlled lands, these forests that they are in charge of that lead to these fires being exacerbated, being much worse than they normally would be. They, they should be more prepared for this than they actually are. And it always looks like they're, they're caught off guard. Like they no, nobody ever could have seen this coming. The, you know, the 85th fucking fire season in a row. <laughs> like it, It's going to be the same every year, but they just keep getting caught off guard. Apparently they're never prepared. They don't know how to deal with it. And that's, you know, that's what you're going to get when you have the government in charge of, of large swaths of land, um, in charge of the water supply. It, you know, that old, it was a Milton Friedman quote where if you put the, the government in charge of um, the deserts in 10 years, there'd be a shortage of sand or something like that. It, it, it's pretty unbelievable that, the, you know, everything that they touch, they, they completely destroy they, they screw everything up and I don't I, I, it's beyond me as to why people still look to them for solutions when everything they do seems to make these situations far far worse and it's it's going to be a very rocky uh, time and I guess we'll get out of here on this this one I, I saw this one article I think this was on zero hedge about Pakistan there's a, a province in Pakistan that is planning on blocking sim cards for people that are unvaccinated. And this is just another little like scary trend that I didn't really um, I didn't really consider the whole SIM card. Like, I don't know how they can just disable all these SIM cards, but apparently they can do that. And I don't you know, you guys know me. I'm technologically retarded. So this is all kind of foreign to me to, to consider. But yeah, man, they can. It looks like they're just going to disable people's SIM cards until they get vaccinated. And if you don't get vaccinated, you can't use your phone. I guess. Um, I don't know how they're going to control that or monitor that, but it's one more aspect of our lives that apparently governments can control. 
And we are. And it, it does look like the, you know, the big libertarian fear when it came to these vaccinations is that they're, they're setting up a two-tier society where certain people have rights and, and others don't have those rights unless they follow everything that the government wants them to do. And this is a very scary, I mean, I, I get it, this is Pakistan, it's not America, but, you know, you're seeing vaccine, uh, Germany just rolled out the first uh, vaccine passports over there. They're, they're doing, you know, certain restaurants and events and things like that are only open to the vaccinated. This is like, this is a very scary trend. It's, it's everything that we were worried about happening once they came out with this. And it does seem to be fairly coordinated and, and super creepy to me. And because we've relinquished so much authority to these governments, they have the ability to just take away everything from you. And there, it looks like, you know, this whole, going back to the whole Great Reset thing, there, there, there's a lot of coordination, um, global coordination between governments. There's, um, I, I don't, I think I wanted to talk about this on the show. I don't know if I ever got around to doing it, but the, the U.S. has been pushing for a global, global minimum tax of 15%. It, it, it seems like there are a lot of pieces of the puzzle coming together to support some version of a great reset theory, right? Where you've got, you've got all of these governments getting together and they're, they're sort of nibbling away around the edges to, to sort of implement what what people are afraid of. And man, if we don't, if, if something doesn't happen to sort of slow this thing down and turn this ship around, uh, it, it looks very scary as to what's going to happen in the future, um, especially when you have this incestuous relationship between governments and private companies, these, these huge multinational corporations, which, you know, they're bigger than ever before because of government. I mean, why why does, you know, why are there only a handful of of these investment companies like BlackRock and things like that? Well, obviously, I've talked about this before, all of this financial regulation that, that puts upward uh, pressure on, on prices for um, investment services and things like that. They price these smaller firms out of the market. They're shutting, the government is forcefully shutting down all kinds of small businesses and funneling everything into these huge corporations. And then the, the huge corporations get together with the government and they, they come up with all sorts of you know, crazy schemes and, and things that, that we have to suffer from. I don't know, man. The, the, next, the next shoe to drop to me, I think, is going to be the, like a, a push for some sort of global currency. And, and that's going to be the, the big one. And, and there, it looks like they're going to you know, angle for maybe like some sort of digital currency. We just saw El Salvador make uh, Bitcoin legal tender. But I, I think what, what is going to happen, uh, since the dollar is still technically the world's reserve currency, um, and as the dollar loses more and more value, you're going to start to see a push for an, an alternative to that. And they're going to want to make it global. They're going to want to make it uniform. They're going to want to make it the one thing that everybody has to do. Everybody has to use. And if they can get, if they can sink their, you know, get their tentacles around that, sink their teeth into that. I mean, that that's money, man. That's like the, the one thing they can control everything with. 
and that that I think is their goal. Um, not to sound too conspiratorial or anything like that, but they're going to want total control. And the way you get total control is by having a universal currency that they can use to track everything that you do and enforce you to do everything that they want. You know, they can sh- they can shut off your phone. They can make sure you can't participate in X, Y, and Z if you're not going to get vaccinated. Well, what else can't they? What else can they stop you from doing? They've got control of the banks, right? We we know the banks are beholden to the government, so they can easily get control of of the currency and, and and turn it into this tool that they can use to further control us and do it on a global scale. That's the the really scary thing is that um, if they are successful in that, I mean that that's it. it it's game over. There's there's not going to be anywhere to go. There's not going to be a way for you to get away from any of this. So anyway, um, kind of a <laughs> a scary, uh, depressing Saturday afternoon, early evening episode for that. I apologize. Just a lot of things that have been on my mind lately and just a lot of scary little trends that I'm seeing. I, I'm not exactly sure how to really wrap that all together or if that if that just kind of came across as the random ramblings of a of a crazy guy on a Saturday afternoon. But um, certainly some a, a lot there to sort of chew on and, and discuss and think about and, and prepare for. It, it's certainly not too late to mitigate a lot of these problems, but we, we have to be prepared for this and we have to figure out what the game plan is going to be going forward because um, the, these, these problems seem to be accelerating and the, the, the faster they go, the, the quicker the government's going to be able to um, take control of things and... and, and take away more and more of our liberties so anyway um i'm gonna wrap there today guys do me a favor i i really need some help now because because of this whole apple podcast thing share the show with somebody um at least one person that you think might like it let let them know that we're back up on apple and if you can go go into uh what is it itunes or whatever and give me a rating and review five stars if you think the show is worth it i I could i would really appreciate that I love you guys. Thank you so very much for listening. And if you guys can do all that for me, I will be back on Tuesday with a brand new episode for you. And until then, you guys know the drill. Just keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace. Peace.